All right, good evening. Let's open our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going to look at the last closing verses of that chapter, verses 22 through 27. We're calling our study tonight, It's a Mute Point. A while back, Kelly blew my mind with a story about an experience she had while substitute teaching. In her class, a young student who didn't respond to her when she spoke with him was causing her some concern. Later, the other teachers and staff let her know that the boy had been diagnosed as a selective mute. No, wait, no. Don't react. No, please, don't react yet. Stay mute. I've been intrigued with that diagnosis for some time. I found out that it is a recognized psychological condition. Here's how it is defined in the literature. Selective mutism is a complex childhood anxiety disorder characterized by a child's inability to speak and communicate effectively in select social settings, such as school. These children are able to speak and communicate in settings where they are comfortable, secure, and relaxed. Additional information can be found on the website of the Selective Mutism Center. Gosh, you are so insensitive. The psychs speculate that it is caused by a genetic predisposition to anxiety. Now, I don't know what I think about all that. I know that when I was a kid and I practiced selective mutism, <laughs> it was a deliberate disobedience and rebellion. Ezekiel, you're saying, why, are, why am I even talking about this? Because Ezekiel was a kind of selective mute, but it wasn't a genetic predisposition and it wasn't something he practiced on his own. It was a God thing. We're going to see that God caused Ezekiel to be maybe not a selective mute, but what we would call an intermittent mute. And so let's start in on this in verse 22. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. Ezekiel had been supernaturally transported to Tel Abib. He'd been sitting there astonished. God broke the silence and gave him a kind of address to a meeting place. God is omnipresent. As you know, the prefix omni derives from the Latin word meaning all or everywhere. Omnipresence used of God means he is everywhere present. It doesn't mean God is in everything. That's a polytheistic kind of a weird idea means that God is everywhere present. Psalm 139 gets as close as it can to our being able to fully comprehend God's omnipresence. It simply declares it. Let me just read a few of the verses there from Psalm 139. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Jesus said of himself, I am with you always. Recognizing that Jesus has a human body, as well as a divine nature, we understand that in his humanity he is localized in heaven, but in his deity he remains omnipresent. 
The Holy Spirit, too, is described as omnipresent in the Scripture. Notwithstanding God's omnipresence, he asked Ezekiel to meet with him out in the plain. It was there that he said, I will talk with you. Notwithstanding God's omnipresence, he asked each of us to meet him in certain locations. The two that come immediately to mind would be my devotions and my church. A simple definition of devotions would be a specific time and place where I can devote myself to my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's always going to involve the Bible and prayer. Beyond that, there is a lot of latitude. I have an innate sense as a Christian that I need to get alone with God. I mean, when you first get saved, if you were saved, especially after, um, you know, as an adult, <coughs> excuse me, you have a sense that you, you want to be alone with God. You want to set aside time and spend time with God. Even though He is omnipresent, you go to meet with Him. Uh, I know when I was younger, I, I'm a morning person. Any, how many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. God bless you. Some of you are night people. Uh, God bless you. To each his own, I say. Uh, and so, if you're a morning person, married to a night person, you're up early, they're up late. And, and uh, you know, it's just, that's the way it goes. But, uh, I mean, if it was up to me, I would get up at 4 o'clock every morning. I try and get up at 5. Uh, you know, it's not a big spiritual thing. Uh, it's just, I almost can't sleep past five o'clock. I want to sometimes, you know, I think I'm going to sleep in five fifteen. And, uh, so, uh, you know, it's a big thing if, 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 and so I love getting up early in the morning, but nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, I'm just out. I'm gone. Actually, Pam would tell you it's more like eight o'clock or eight thirty. And I, I don't know why I do this, but she says, are you sleeping? No, uh-uh, no, I'm not sleeping. And actually, I'm not sleeping right at that moment, you know. I mean, because I'm answering her. So maybe she needs to ask a different question. But anyway, of course, I've been sleeping. And, uh, you know, so just so it's not a lot of times, you know, people say, well, you've got to get up early and spend time with the Lord. No, you just have to spend time with the Lord. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's early or late, midday, you know, midnight, it doesn't matter, but you have a sense of, of wanting to spend that time with the Lord. You know, a lot of people that put a trip on you, well, you have to do it in the morning because, you know, late at night you're too tired and, you know, if you wait to the end of the day, you're giving God, you know, your worst and all that. that. That's just bogus. I mean, God made you that way. He made you a night person so that he'd have somebody to talk to late at night, I guess, you know, while your husband was asleep. But anyway, uh, that's, that's just kind of it. And so you have this, you have really a sense that you, the way that you want to be with the person that you love, uh, you know, you want to be with God. I think of church services that way too. I think God is also saying, go to church and there I shall talk with you. When I first got saved, I had the distinct feeling that God was speaking directly to me through the teaching of His Word. I knew His omnipresence and I had the Holy Spirit indwelling me. I mean, doctrinally, I understood that God was everywhere and I, I knew the Lord was living within me in the person of His Holy Spirit. But I also knew that He was inviting me to meet with Him 
uh, at church, for example. And we looked forward to getting to church on Sunday mornings to see what God would say. I mean, we didn't know anything about the Word and didn't really know anything about God or what we knew about God was wrong. Uh, and, and so we were excited to get to church or to Bible study to uh, meet with God. Uh, and so, so it's, it's just kind of an interesting reminder. Yes, God is omnipresent. You can talk to Him anytime. You can walk with Him all through the day and night. But there are times when He says, come and meet with me out in your devotions. Come and meet with me on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it is that you're able to, to get to the church that God has brought you to. And He says, and there I will meet with you. Uh, and many of us have been touched in really special ways in private devotions and in public services. And so let's stay excited about both. Now in verse 23, So I arose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Kibar, and I fell on my face. Now the Lord, who was clearly at Tel Aviv talking with Israel, or excuse me, with Ezekiel, he was saying, hey, get out of here and go to the plain, nevertheless gave his prophet a spectacular experience out in the plain. He chose not to do it there at Tel Aviv. He says, I need to do it out in the plain. Ezekiel compared it to his first vision by the river Kebar. Kebar. It was like his first vision, but it was different. God wants to give us fresh vision. Now, that's something that I'm sure you've heard before uh, in church, and, and it's a good thing. But normally when we think about vision, we immediately think about a new ministry or a new project. Because a lot of times that, you know, we'll come and say, well, we've got a new vision. And what we mean is there's a new direction or we're going to start doing this or building that or going here or going there. And that's fine. That, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but uh, that might be the result, but that's not the main thing. Ezekiel got a vision of the glory of God. He didn't get a vision for a building project or a, a new mission or anything like that. He just got a vision of the glory of God. We need fresh visions of the glory of God. Then we can go forward and either continue our current work with renewed anointing or we can launch out into a new spirit-empowered ministry. I, I just mention that because the Lord has been showing me that uh, you know, so often it, it's, it's, we're doing so much uh, and, and the things that we're doing are good, but they're not really birthed from having seen the Lord, having spent time with the Lord. Uh, and, and we want to be sure that the things that we're doing really come from the Lord. And so uh, the Lord will say, hey, I, I want to talk to you in your devotion. I want to talk to you at church. I want to talk to you in some place. I want to give you a fresh vision of my grace, my mercy, my forgiveness, my love. Uh, my compassion for the lost, whatever it would be, then we're ready to continue in the work or to establish a new work. The prophet fell on his face. He went prostrate before the Lord. He was using his body to represent his surrender and submission to God. Now, please note that he was alone. I sometimes wonder how many of the people who are so for the lack of a better word, let me just say that they are interruptive of a church service. I wonder how many of them actually act that way in private. Maybe they do. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying that public worship is not the same as private worship. And so a lot of times people say, well, look at Ezekiel. He saw the glory of the Lord. Man, when you see the glory of the Lord, you, you go down. 
Uh, but a lot of these guys, you know, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Moses, they were alone with the Lord. I'm not saying we can't see the glory of the Lord or experience the glory of the Lord in a group, but we have to be careful about these things because so many people put so much emphasis on letting themselves go and the idea that I had to fall down, I had to do what I, uh, I wanted to do. Now, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, there are very definite guidelines for public worship. And they are for the good of all the saints and for the giving of all the glory to God. Sometimes we can be too reserved, uh, but certainly we can also be too uh, wild as well and, and, and actually interrupt the worship. And so uh, we just want to be balanced in these things and, and uh, biblical. Verse 24, Then the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, Go shut yourself inside your house. Now, I'd have to say, based on this, that Ezekiel was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We believe that the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit was not the normal experience of the Old Testament saints. He would come upon them, he would fill them, but he didn't permanently indwell them. it's interesting, you know that psalm that we sing, you know, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Some, uh, some Christians don't like to sing that because they don't believe it's doctrinally accurate. Because in the New Testament, if you're a child of God, if you're born again, God's Spirit doesn't come and go. You know, it just, it's a, you know he, he permanently indwells you. Now, I don't have any trouble singing that because, after all, it's a psalm. Uh, I do have a problem. There's a church I know of, and, and I love them and all, but they, they've changed the words to that to reflect. And now we've occasionally changed the words to songs that we don't, because we don't like the emphasis of the song, but we never change the words to the Bible. Uh, so, you know, so, but anyway, so if, if some, one of these days some of your friend is going to say, hey, you really shouldn't sing that song, you know, take not that, because the Lord won't take his spirit away. Uh, it reflects this kind of thing in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit came upon these individuals for a time, but he could also indwell them if he wanted to. I mean, because after all, he's God. It just wasn't the permanent situation of the Old Testament saint. They were saved. Uh, they knew the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but not in the same way that we do. After Jesus rose from the dead, he breathed on his disciples, and that's when they were indwelt, permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit doesn't ever leave you. Your body remains his earthly temple. Now notice, this is kind of uh, interesting to me. It's a little bit humorous, I think, but Ezekiel had fallen prostrate and uh, the Holy Spirit lifted him up. It was a reversal of being slain in the Spirit. Today, Pentecostals are slain by the Spirit. He knocks them down. So, but here, Ezekiel went down because he was so uh, reverent of the glory of God. And God said, well, I want to talk to you. And so he lifted him up. Like an, I, if you could see this, I envision it being like a marionette where he, he didn't have any physical strength of his own to get up. And so the Spirit lifted him up. And so that's what I'd like to see in a worship service. I'd like to see somebody say, hey, I want everybody to just lay down and we're going to watch the Holy Spirit move on you as he just lifts you up off the ground, you know. Because it's a lot easier to push somebody over than it is to just lift them up without touching them. Uh, and so it's just, why am I doing this? We need to be careful when we read the Word of God. We're not making fun of anybody. 
But we, you know, I mean, we have a lot to learn about worship. I, you know, we haven't arrived. A lot of times people think, well, you're, you know, you're going too far. You know, you're really criticizing the Pentecostal. Not critical at all. I'm just saying let's read the word carefully and let's do what the Bible says to do. There's plenty to do within the parameters of the Bible. We don't have to make up new stuff that's happening uh, to, to, to feel like the Holy Spirit is ministering to us. Because once you start down that road, then you always have to feel like something's happening. You always have to see something visual. You always have to have an experience. There always has to be an event or you don't feel that the Spirit is there. I've had dear uh, Pentecostal ladies come and visit over the years who love the Lord beyond the shadow of a doubt. And they'll come up. I remember this one lady one time over at the YMCA. She came up and she goes, Brother, that was such an anointed message but you, and she started doing a little dance. She goes, but you didn't get into the Holy Ghost, you know, and so, and she was dead serious, you know, and she, and it was, you know what, I actually, I loved it. I, I received it for, I knew what she was talking about, but she, to her, it was like, that was great, you know, but it just lacked a little bit of this, you know, just, it had a lot of this, but there's just a little bit of this and it would have been everything, you know, and so, uh, you know, we just want to be careful that when we do a little bit of this, we can say, this is that which is spoken of in the scriptures, uh, and so, so as far as being slain in the spirit, could God knock somebody down? Sure, absolutely. I don't have any problem with that. He could also lift them up off the ground without them having to do it themselves. Let's let God be God and not invent these things. A lot of you, when I share about these things, people say, yeah, I went to churches like that. And they, they do, they push you down, you know, and, and, and they give you syllables to, so that you get the gift of tongues. Well, it's not a gift if you get it. That way, you know, I mean, you can't give yourself a gift. And so we just want to be careful. Uh, we want to worship the Lord. Uh, you know, I, I think we, like every congregation, is on a learning curve. Uh, some need to discover more of the gifts of the Spirit. Some need to rein in the use of the gifts of the Spirit. The church in Corinth, when we get there, they definitely had to rein in the gifts. Paul said, yeah, you're prophesying, you're speaking in tongues, you're just going about it all wrong. And, and let me tell you how to do that. Other churches, I think Paul would go to and say, well, he did, to the Thessalonians, he said, quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Apparently, they had gotten to a point where they were all intellectual and they were quenching just the moving of the Spirit in the congregation to the point where they weren't allowing anybody to prophesy or to do that. And so there's always an adjustment to be made, I believe, in every congregation, uh, and ours is no exception. Uh, So am I making fun of people? No, it's just funny. Uh, you know, and it, I make fun of us. I make fun of myself. Uh, so let's just be biblical. And, you know, if you're going to use an example, make sure it really is an example. Uh, and so what we see here is Ezekiel in his devotions, really, falling down, being raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, that, that would be just great. Now, God told Ezekiel, go shut yourself inside your house. All I can say at this point is, so it begins. And you're going to see what I mean starting right now. Verse 25. And you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. Now, when you first read this, it reads, you know, you get the sense because we read into it what what it seems to be saying you, you get the idea that they're going to come into Ezekiel's house. Somebody, you know, probably his enemies are going to come into his house 
and bind him up so that he can't leave his house and share the word of God, you know. However, when you read through the book of Ezekiel, you find out that that never happened. He was never bound by others. Uh, that is not an experience that he had. Other prophets, yes. Jeremiah back in Jerusalem was being thrown into cisterns and left for dead. And he was, he was being mistreated, but not Ezekiel. Uh, this is instruction to him. Pay attention here. This is fascinating. This is instruction to him to have someone, his own family. We know at least he was married uh, and he had some neighbors and friends. They were to put ropes on him and bind him with them so that he could not go out of his house. That's what is being said here. Let them bind you so that you don't go out of your house. So begins Ezekiel's drama ministry in which he acts out God's messages. He was bound to symbolize that he was the Lord's prisoner in his own house. The Israelites would be captives, prisoners in Babylon for an extended period of time. They would be bound, literally, as it were, in their own houses, allowed to settle into communities and live among one another, but they were captives nonetheless. And so he was starting to live that out. I've told you over the weeks that the, the Jews refused to believe that God would allow Israel, uh, Jerusalem to fall and that his glory would depart from there. They refused it. Uh, and so Ezekiel begins this drama ministry where they look and they say, why is Ezekiel bound in his house? And in a minute we'll see uh, later, uh, we'll quote a verse from farther in Ezekiel. It says, it's a symbol to them. And the symbolism was, you guys are going to be bound in Babylon in your own private houses. Not literally, but physically in the sense that you're captives. And, and this is going to go on for a long time. And so Ezekiel is a visual prophet. He had a lot to say, as we'll see in subsequent chapters, but he had a very visual ministry. I get the sense that every day for quite some time, Ezekiel got up in the morning, and after he had his Tanzania pea berry uh, and bagel or whatever it is he ate, he said, okay, I'm ready, uh, and they bound him. And uh, he sat there. That was his work of the minute. That was his uniform of the day. Uh, to be bound every day in his house so that he couldn't go out among the people. Now, his being bound also established something quite interesting. Though he was called upon to warn the people, remember our last study, you need to warn the people, and if you don't warn them, their blood is going to be on you. Uh, though he was called to do that, they would have to come to him. They would have to seek him out at his house because he was bound inside of his house. Mobility is a great thing. All of us, though, uh, are headed for immobility. I don't know if you realize that or not. There's going to come a time in your life when you're not as mobile as you are or once were, if you live long enough. We just won't be able to do the things that we'd like to do. We may even become homebound. When that occurs, we can still be used by the Lord. Whether it's through prayer or in some other capacity, we can go on ministering for the Lord. A lot of times I've talked to homebound people or people who are mostly homebound and they say, well, and, and they, don't mean, you know, they don't mean it in a pejorative way, but they say, well, I guess I could always pray. And, and I've thought that myself. And, and then you have to catch yourself and say, yeah, wow, think of all the hours that you'd have to pray. I mean, really, I know that you guys, you know, you want to pray. 
don't you want to pray? Wouldn't you just wouldn't you like to be like Jesus and spend all night in prayer? I mean, that'd be wonderful to really be that kind. You know, but there's a thing that happens called life. And, and it's filled with jobs and children and responsibilities. And, and, and so rather you know, than exhort people all the time that they're blowing it by, because they don't pray enough, just talk about the Lord and get them excited so they think, well, maybe I could go without some sleep here to spend more time. Because I know that I want to pray and that you want to pray. But sometimes we get later in our life and we think, well, I, you know, I'm immobile now and I can't do anything. I guess I can pray. I think God worked it out that way because now you're really mature and you know how to pray and what to pray for and you're not going to waste all those prayers on yourself. You know, you're immobile. You don't need hardly anything. You're just, you know, you're like, okay. You know, you're like Captain Pike in the Star Trek series. You know, you're just, eh, you know, you're sitting there just a head on a, on a kind of a machine kind of a thing. And, and it's, it's glory. be glorious. Wouldn't that be glorious? I mean, what, what a great Christian retirement. What are you doing? I pray. What are you talking about? I pray. I'm all over the world in my prayers. And, uh, I mean, think of the, the technological mobility that you have now to just affect people all over the world through uh, email and the Internet and things like that. And so all of us, you know, you live long enough, you're going to get immobile. You're going to be immobilized, you know. And uh, you're, going to have to have, you're going to have to retire into an immobile ministry. When individuals or groups did come to Ezekiel, they may or may not get a message from him. Let's read verses 26 and 27 together. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Occasionally, God would have a word he wanted to speak to those who visited Ezekiel. On those occasions, Ezekiel could speak, but he could only speak the words, the exact words the Lord gave him. Ezekiel literally fulfilled what we are exhorted to do in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 4.11, we read, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Although I would hate being mute, I would like it if I only always said what I should, and if I always only said what God wanted me to say. And Ezekiel was actually in that position. Uh, I mean, God says, I'm going to just, you know, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but your tongue is going to... And I don't think he really even tried like that. It just, you know, he just, he just made him a mute. And then every now and then somebody would come to be ministered to, And God would have a word and Ezekiel would be eloquent. He would give them only that word. Though mostly mute, we will see that Ezekiel uttered many messages between here and chapter 33. His intermittent muteness would end when word came to him that Jerusalem had finally fallen to Nebuchadnezzar. I told you we'd read ahead. Let me just read this to you from uh, Ezekiel 24. (coughs) Excuse me says, And you, son of man, will it not be in the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and their glory, the desire of their eyes and that on which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters? On that day, one who escapes will come to you to let you hear it with your ears. On that day, your mouth will be opened to him who has escaped. You shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus you shall be a sign to them and they shall know that I am the Lord. Then in chapter 33, along those same lines we read, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, 
that one who escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped. And he had opened my mouth so that when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened and I was no longer mute. Now, scholars estimate that Ezekiel's time of immobility and intermittent muteness lasted approximately seven and a half years. Now, we'll see his immobility was broken up by some other things that he was enabled or allowed to do outside of his house, beginning in chapter 4. And then we'll see in several passages that during those years, the elders of Israel would frequently come to him to inquire of the Lord through him. You know, we talk about stay-at-home moms and dads. Well, Ezekiel was a stay-at-home prophet. You had to come to him. When you did, he may or may not have a message for you from God. It was an unusual strategy for unusual times. God had been speaking through his prophets. He was speaking through Jeremiah, who was still in Jerusalem. The people didn't believe God's prophets. They rejected their message. They were instead listening to false prophets who were assuring them that God would never allow His glory to depart from them. God was taking things to the next level. If they were going to ignore both the written and spoken word, then God was going to make it difficult for them to receive the word at all when they really wanted to hear it. There are times a believer might feel that he or she is not hearing from God. It can be a test of faith in which God is asking us to trust Him. It can also be that God has already spoken to you in or through His Word, and you or I just won't receive it. We, we want some other word. We've got our answer. I know there have been times when I've been counseling others that I find I keep saying to them the same thing over and over again, week after week. There's nothing new to say because there's no movement towards applying God's Word. I remember one couple, uh, sweet couple, uh, this was years ago at the old office, and uh, the husband, I gave him four, actually only three, I gave him three very simple things to do. Uh, very simple, no, nothing crazy, you know, just anybody could do it. it. It would have only taken maybe five minutes, three things. Came in the next week, how are you guys doing? They didn't come to our church, but somebody had recommended them. They said, how are you guys doing? Uh, that's terrible. Things haven't gotten any better. We're in just the same place. In fact, it might be worse. I let him talk for a while, and then I said, well, let me ask you, did you do this? No. Did you do this? Uh, no. Did you do this? No. I said, well, I want, we were like 15 minutes into it, you know. I said, well, I want you to go do those three things. Goodbye. And he said, well, that's it? And I go, yeah, that was it. I mean, what, do you, what do you want me to do? You know, if you're not going to do those three things, what else is there? You know, and he, it was really kind of revelatory to him, you know, and stuff. And so, uh, and I, you know, in the nicest way I could, I said, that's all I got. That's it. That's, I've just shot my three bullets, you know, and, and you're not going to do them. So, you know, there's nothing new. <coughs> Sometimes I think it might be better if a Christian counselor sat and said nothing. Can you imagine a session like that? It would be amazing. I wonder if the counselee would get it or not. You know, somebody comes in and said, you know, I'd like some counsel. Well, you know, here's what's going on. They talk for a while and you're like, what's the matter with you? God doesn't want to talk to you. You know, I mean, because why? What, you know, if we were more into this kind of a thing, we think, well, God is showing me something. We always want to hear something. But sometimes God is actually showing us something. 
And what is God showing us in that? You know, and so Ezekiel, you know, you'd come and ask Ezekiel something and he'd gotten, he had nothing for you. God had his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth because God had already told them some things, a lot of things, and they weren't heeding them. And so a lot of times we, if you, if you don't feel like you're hearing from the Lord, it's probably just a test of faith. Walk by faith and not by sight. Know that the Lord is with you. Kind of the footprints in the sand thing, you know. I, I was carrying you when you thought I left you. But sometimes, at least there's the possibility that God did speak to you and you're just not doing what he asked you to do. He doesn't have anything else to say to you until you get back to where uh, you're going to obey him. I ran across the following quote, which kind of fits in here. In some ways, it's those of us who are most familiar with the Spirit's promises who are in the greatest danger. Someone has said that familiarity may not breed contempt, but it takes the edge off of awe. Something like this is true about the rich texts and glory-filled promises that drop the jaw or widen the eyes of newcomers, but provoke no more than a raised eyebrow in the old-timers who have ceased to dream. I don't want to become crusty the Christian, do you? Even if I'm hearing the same truth for the hundredth or the thousandth time, I want to be in awe that it's God's word speaking to me. I'm just as guilty. Well, I I was going to say as you, but I don't know if you're guilty of this, but I'm sometimes guilty of in my flesh, somebody starts to give a message and I think, I've heard that before. I know that. Move on. Tell me something I don't know. You know, and, and man, what a sinner. Because when I was a young Christian, it was like, really? Really? Abraham sacrificed Isaac just the way God sacrificed his son? Wow! Now it's like well, you have to have some really deeper insight to interest me at all about that. Yeah, I know that. And, and it's crazy, and that's what this is about. It's like, where is that sense of awe that just, just the idea, you know, not that we reverence the physical book, but just, I have the Bible. I have the Bible to read and to study and to, wow, look at this. This is neat. It starts with Genesis. It ends with Revelation. Whoa, man, 66 books, Route 66. You know, I mean, it's cool. Of course you're going to hear stuff you've heard before, and a lot of times you're going to hear stuff you didn't hear before. And, and, you know, and you'll hear a lot more stuff if you're just in awe. My omnipresent God still invites me to arise and go somewhere and meet with Him where He has promised to speak with me. Let's keep more of those appointments both in our devotions and at church. And when we do, let's make the most of them. Let's be in awe because as we used to sing, our God is what? An awesome God. Amen.